Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. We have discussed many topics on my show this year, but none more important than bullying. Instead of a drawn-out opening statement by yours truly, we will go directly to my renowned guest and one of the English-speaking world's foremost experts on the subject of bullying. Bill Belsey is is a Canadian father, teacher, and president of Bullying.org. He is the creator and facilitator of www.bullying.org, the world's most visited and referenced website about bullying. www.bullying.org has won many awards, including the ChildNet International Award that goes to Internet initiatives that make the world a better and safer place for young people and was a finalist for the Stockholm Challenge Award, an award that has been referred to as the Nobel Prize of the IT, that's information technology, world. Mr. Belsey is the creator of www.cyberbullying.ca, the world's first website about the issue of cyberbullying. In fact, he is often cited as the first person to introduce and define this word. He was also the originator of the annual National Bullying Awareness Week. See www.bullyingawarenessweek.org for more information about this major national grassroots initiative. He also created and is the facilitator of www.bullyingcourse.com, an educational resource that offers online courses and webinars about bullying and cyberbullying for parents and educators. Mr. Belsey is a winner of the Prime Minister's Award for Teaching Excellence in Science, Mathematics, and Technology. He is also a recipient of the Royal Bank Fellowship from the Mathematics, Science, and Technology Group at Queen's University and the Roy C. Hill Fellowship for Innovations in Education from the Canadian Teachers Federation. I can go on and on and on about the accomplishments and accolades of Mr. Belsey, but I think it best that we go to the man himself. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, I greatly appreciate you, you giving us your time. So, Bill, I've, I've listed many of the things that you've done with regards to bullying to date, actually just a fraction of your accomplishments. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, I think perhaps the most important thing, really, I mean, it's very kind of you to say such nice things, but um, really, I, I first and foremost, I'm a father. I have a, a teenage daughter and a son. And uh, I'm a classroom teacher. I uh, teach in a middle school. And everything I've done, I guess, the, the filters that are most important to me in terms of the professional work I've done is is first and foremost as a dad and, uh, and as a teacher. So um, I think those are really the most important uh, things that I've been engaged in in my life. Okay. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, why, why did you create the organization Bullying.org? Well, this is the better part of uh, almost two decades ago, um, <clears throat> the audience may remember, unfortunately, the tragic events that happened at Columbine High School. And um, about eight days later, there was a copycat uh, incident in Canada at a school not all that far from where I live and where I teach. And um, like a lot of people around the world, we were saddened and angered and confused. and And yet, at the same time, I felt I needed to do something. I, I felt compelled to act. And I thought, well, you know, what can I do? Uh, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a PhD. Uh, I'm a dad and I'm a classroom teacher, but I do have a little bit of expertise in terms of using technology and what I hope are positive ways. And I thought, maybe, uh, just maybe if I could, you know, use the power of technology to try and have at least one young person out there know that they're not alone in dealing with bullying. Um, have them understand that it's not their fault, and also have them understand that um, there is a world of information, supports, resources, strategies, uh, skills uh, that they can turn to, and, and other people, too, that they can turn to and and connect with. And so that led me to create the website bullying.org, and it, it's a safe place where people, especially young people, but people of all ages can go and find help, information, and support. And what we've done 
for the better part of two decades is uh, Bullying.org is a virtual volunteer organization. So all the postings of personal stories, of poetry, of artwork and images, of music, uh, of video that's been shared, and all the replies are read by a team of real people who read all those. And we read them to make sure that there's a real person um, behind uh, vetting that sharing, as well as any replies. So if anybody has the courage to share on the site, we also make sure that no one will uh, diss them or put them down because all the replies are read by real people as well before any of that goes live. And I guess my son calls it word of mouth. Um, You know, (laughs) people started to tell people on the Internet about this site because when it first went live, there was really nothing, there wasn't really a lot of information about bullying online. Now, thankfully, there's lots. But at the time, there was really not that much. And uh, word sort of spread very quickly from, you know, young person to young person to parent to teacher to, you know, uh, police officers, social workers, media people. Um, They sort of said, hey, there's this site that you can go to and find help, information, support, and know that you're not alone in dealing with this. And um, it just kind of grew, I guess the term we would use these days is virally, and now it's become, over time, one of the, if not the most visited and referenced websites about bullying in the world. And and I don't have a dime to um, promote it. It's just, you know, word of mouth, if you will, or as my son says, word of mouth. Um, and I think that's, on one hand, I wish it weren't so. I wish it weren't needed at all. Um, but clearly, you know, when people are experiencing bullying, whether it's a kid at school or an adult in the workplace who's being harassed, all of us feel, even if we have loving families and supportive colleagues and things, when we go through these sort of experiences, we feel very much ostracized. We feel very much alone. And I wanted to use the power of the Internet in a positive, supportive way to let people of all ages, uh, but particularly young people, know that they're not alone in dealing with it. And so that was sort of, you know, one of the first big projects. That's sort of the mothership, if if you will, that we undertook uh, many years ago. Well, I think it's... um I think some viruses are positive, and this is a very positive virus. Um, I go all the way back to, I guess, 1976 when I first was bullied um, ferociously when I was in uh, third grade. And, of course, in that world, <laughs> the 70s, it, there didn't exist this platform. So um, pretty much um, even with a very supportive and loving family I had, it was a different world, different era, and the expectation was that you just dealt with it. You just toughed it out as um, you know, so this, this, I, I, I feel positive that it's, it's going to help, um, children that were in my place or might have, might be in the place I was in, um, to have a, a place to branch out to because it's not always easy to just talk to mom and dad or, or big sister, big brother. And, and, and but it is easy for kids today to just, you know, click a mouse, as your son would say. Um, right. And I think you're right. And I think the other part of this that is problematic is that although we who care about kids, those of us who are educators and others who support children, um, we will rightly and, and with good intention say to kids, you know, please tell an adult that you know and trust if you're being bullied. But here's the problem. The research shows us that by the time kids are even uh, preschoolers, even before they go to school, they're learning to be quiet about the issue. And the reason why is despite us telling kids to please, you know, talk to an adult about this issue, which I will continue to say to my, my last breath, but the problem is kids start to realize early on that if they go to an adult and tell about what's happening, then sometimes, although the adult may be well-intentioned, we adults can make it worse. Mm. And, uh, and we do sometimes. And I think that uh, there's a bunch of reasons for that. I think, you know, many people become parents, but how many people actually get any real training? Uh, it's one of the most important jobs we ever do in our entire lives, but how many people actually get any proper preparation or training uh, other than perhaps if you're lucky enough to have uh, you know uh, uh, parents and grandparents who uh, who helped you well and and modeled great behaviors along the way um, but not everybody's so lucky and also for educators and this may shock uh, your audience who are not educators but the, what I've learned over many years of dealing with this issue is that the vast majority of educators have never taken a research-based course about bullying as part of their teacher preparation at university when they were student teachers or experienced teachers in the field like myself who 
or in the classroom, very few of us have ever had a research-based course about how to, how to address bullying more effectively. And really, if you think about it, that, that's shocking. Um, and I've been lucky enough to travel across not just Canada, but our, throughout North America and indeed around the world. And I've asked my colleagues, both online and in person at teachers' conferences and in my travels, um, and I would ask them how many of them were felt properly prepared to deal with the issue. And most of them, the vast majority, will honestly, when they're being candid, they'll say, gee, you know, I, I don't really know. And so what happens is, those teachers who get into teaching because, of course, let's face it, we don't do it to because we want to get wealthy. Um, we do it because hopefully we love kids and we love learning. Those educators who were never really properly trained, down the road, it's very likely that some of them, many of them, will become administrators. Well, those are the same folks who we look to for leadership. And again, they're very well-intentioned, but they often, those are the teachers who never had, never had any proper training in dealing with this issue and they are now being administrators. So sometimes parents feel quite frustrated when they approach their child's teacher or if they have to go you know, higher to the administration. They don't feel very supported. And the reason why isn't that the teachers don't care. The vast majority of teachers, teachers care deeply, but they often will do things with good intentions that make the situation worse. And I liken this current situation in education um, if we could make a parallel in health, uh, among health professionals, you know, bullying is, is typically the number one non-academic uh, issue that most classroom teachers like me have to face. And not being properly trained to deal with it or help kids deal with it or help parents uh, address it as well, it's like having nurses and doctors who've never had any training in helping the public with the flu, which would be un- unthinkable in this day and age, and certainly, you know, Canada or the United States, uh, that if we had the flu and went to our health professional uh, at a clinic or a hospital or in their private practice or whatever, that we would have a health professional not know how to help us or make it worse. And unfortunately, that's the current state of affairs when it comes to the issue of bullying um, and working on prevention strategies and working on intervention, um, working on restitution, all these sorts of things. Most teachers are well-intentioned, but unfortunately, we um, we often make it worse. So that's the really unfortunate part is Mm -hmm. that we as educators and as parents, as adults who care about kids, we will rightly and with good intention say to kids, you know, please tell an adult that you know and trust about this issue, but kids learn to shut up. And again, the reason why they do that is because we, despite our good intentions, often make it worse. And um, then what happens is kids are shut up about it. And then, you know, God forbid, there may be a really serious situation like a suicide or, you know, a young person acting out and harming their peers. And then we say, well, gee, how, how, how can this fester? How can this, how could this happen? And those are, there are, there are, those are just some of the reasons why. Uh, but I guess there is good news in this. And the good news is that despite the media saying that, you know, schools are going to hell in the handbasket and, you know, bullying is epidemic, well, the research is actually showing us that bullying generally is slowly decreasing. I know it doesn't mm-hmm. feel that way or seem that way in the media, but it, the research is actually showing us that it is slowly decreasing. But, um, you know, the thing is <laughs> that um, it, we have a whole lot of work to do in the meantime. And the good news, if there is any good news about bullying, is that bullying is a behavior and it's learned. And that means if it's learned, we can help young people and others unlearn that. We can provide you know, positive role modeling. We can teach kids how to develop empathy. There's just so many strategies that we can employ. And I guess perhaps I'm living proof. You don't have to have a PhD or be a psychologist or work in, uh, you know, the university at Ivory Tower. You know, we can be just regular moms and dads and classroom teachers and regular folks who care about kids. We can all play a role in addressing the issue. Yeah, and and there's a. I want to validate something you said, and and share some 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 of the positive that are going on, uh, especially here in New York. But at this time, we need to take a short break. But stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our special guest, 
uh, Bill Belzy, president of bullying.org. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on TalkZone. Bill, just before the break, you mentioned how uh, teachers and administrators are not you know, trained in how to handle bullying. And to validate what you said, I was fortunate as a, a young teacher more than 20 years ago to be teaching in a school system that actually brought in outside um, experts, for, for lack of a better word, who actually uh, trained us in what's called the Child Development Project or CDP. And and that was it. That was the first time I was introduced to um, strategies to use when children were having issues with each other and how to treat others as you want to be treated. However, 20 years later, I became an administrator, you know, several years after becoming a teacher. But I've been an administrator for over a decade. And as I was writing uh, uh, my book, Muggermore, which is pretty much shares some of my childhood experiences, when I got to the third grade and I had to talk about bullying I, I realized how little I knew. Um, and if somebody, a parent or someone would have come to me regarding bullying, uh, yes, I had some strategies for working with kids and, and kids working with each other, but I had no idea what to tell and how to support uh, a parent or a teacher. So I actually had to go and do my own research before writing uh, this small segment of my book. So there's really, or at, at the time, and this is only going back a couple of years, there was just really not a lot of uh, sources that you can go to to um, get up to speed on what it is you should be telling teachers. So, so what are some of the uh, key aspects of the work of bullying.org? Well, uh, there's four parts to it. One I mentioned earlier about the website bullying.org. And then out of that, um, people began sharing stories on the site. Now, this is some time ago, but a decade and a half ago, I guess now. They began sharing stories, which is the heart of the site, about various experiences they were having. And uh, some young people from Scandinavia, parts of the United Kingdom, um, Asia, they began sharing stories about being bullied when they were online. And mm. I thought, at that time, I thought, okay, this is something new. And so I thought, well, you know, I, I'm not all that smart, so I thought, well, I, I borrowed from uh, a, another Canadian. Uh, his name is William Gibson, who's a very famous science fiction writer, and he was the one who coined the term cyberspace in his writing. And I thought, well... If this is bullying and it's happening in cyberspace, I simply put the two together and I thought, we need to call it something different because uh, this was a, a new, it, it was a, an old behavior uh, manifest itself, uh, manifesting itself in a new way. So I called it cyberbullying and created the website uh, cyberbullying.org and .ca, two first websites to actually define the term cyberbullying. And then out of that, to get back to the discussion we were having before the break, is I thought, well, parents feel frustrated. They, they want to talk to their child's school about what's happening with their son around bullying. They're not getting much uh, support or help. Teachers, and you told the story yourself a moment ago, most of us really feel quite inadequate to deal with it. And I look back at my own teaching, and I thought, you know, I've been teaching for a few years now, and there's a lot of changes that have happened in education. But I began to think back on, you know, and really summarize, if I could, you know, what do I think is my most important job as an educator? And I really think what it boils down to is my job is to create the optimal environment for my students to achieve their potential as learners. And if I have some of my students, even one, who's scared to come to school because of bullying, then I can never help that child achieve their full potential. So I thought, you know what, I need to figure out, that I, need to, I need to know about this. So what I started to do was I started approaching some of the world's very best academics and researchers. And I would say, quite honestly, I, I'm a professional educator, but I'm not an academic uh, per se. And I approached Dan Olwiest in Norway and Ken Rigby in Australia and, and Drs. Pepler and Craig in Canada and so many others and who are leading researchers around the world on this topic. And I said, could you please mentor me? Could you please, out of all the wonderful academic works you've done, could you please share with me some of your your best work and help me understand this issue because what I would like to do is maybe my role could be a conduit between the academic world and just regular folks, you know, parents and teachers who are trying to help kids. And so after many years of trying to understand the issue better, thanks to their help, I put it together I put together a number of courses, an online courses for parents and for teachers at a website bullyingcourse.com. 
And um, those are online courses that parents can take and educators can take. And the reason why I did two different ones is because parents and teachers speak a different language. Teachers sometimes, unfortunately, can get into sort of uh, you know, teacher ease and uh, use educational jargon. The thought process of a school, typically, as educators and administrators, is we tend to think long-term. We, we, we say, well, you know, we're, 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 we're in our school, we're doing character education, we have these long-term goals about how to help kids be better citizens, which are great. But from a parent's perspective, they, their mindset is completely different. Their mindset is, I just found out tonight that my child's being bullied. He or she doesn't want to go to school. They're waiting the bed. They don't want to go on the school bus. They're so scared. Please, what can you do in the short term to help my child feel safer at school? So, so schools are looking at the broad, long-term pictures, but parents want to know, please, what strategies can we employ now to help my child feel safer at, so that they can go to school and be happy and learn? And so to help bridge that gap, uh, I created bullyingcourse.com. Now, it does, it's not a panacea, but there's a lot of really great information there. And, and the part of this, too, is that so much of the problems that uh, are dealt with with bullying could be solved if there was an open dialogue earlier on. So if there's a teacher and he or she doesn't feel fully competent about it, they often don't want to tell their administrator. You know, if they find that the bullying is going on, if they're a young teacher, they don't want to tell. There's a lot of fear involved. They don't, they're fearful and they don't want to tell their principal because that principal is evaluating them as a young teacher. And so they don't want to be a peer incompetent. If you're a more experienced teacher, you feel embarrassed that, well, gee, I'm an experienced teacher. I should know how to handle this. So what teachers sometimes do, and it's with good intentions, but they think, well, maybe if I just wait a few days, you know, things will settle down, you know, kids will be kids and all that kind of stuff. But, of course, it doesn't get better. It festers and gets worse. And then, unfortunately, if the parents don't hear promptly, the parents get the impression that the teachers don't care. So Mm. then it gets kicked up the ladder to the principal. And, of course, those are former teachers who were never really trained either. So they may or may not be comfortable with dealing with the issue. And so they may or may not, they may say, well, you know, it's an internal school matter, we can't comment right now. And then the parents feel even more frustrated, and they may go to the superintendent, and if they still don't get resolution, because, of course, superintendents were former principals usually, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they may end up going to the media or maybe going, uh, you know, with litigation uh, involving lawyers and and the courts. Well, all so much of that, I'd say 90, probably 99% of it could be avoided if teachers would, communicate early and often, and even say, you know what, I hear you, I'm going to do, I want to work with you as, as the parent to try and find solutions with this, come in and see me, I don't have all the solutions as a teacher, you might think I do, but I don't, and I want to freely admit that, please come and talk with me, let's together come up with strategies that we can employ to help your child feel safe, so that has, you know, and, and, and if, if teachers could communicate early and often, that would solve a lot of the misunderstandings, because if a child ever has to leave their classroom and the parents feel and the child feels they have to go to a different class or maybe even a different school or in some cases even leave and go to a different community, mm. um, then we failed that child and yeah. we need to do better. But I think the first step is communicating early and often. Number one, teachers need to work with the parents because bullying is a community issue. It's not simply a school issue. Bullying happens far beyond the schoolyard um, and cyberbullying is an example of that. But we need to communicate early and often. The number one thing is to ensure the safety and security and well-being of the child who's being victimized. Number two, the child who's doing the hurting, uh, who's being the aggressor, they need to have consequences, yes, but not kicking them out of school. Uh, you know, no one who gets suspended learns anything about how to change the behaviors in a positive way by simply getting kicked out. All they're doing is they're going to repeat those same aggressive behaviors uh, in at the mall or on the streets or in the neighborhood or wherever they might be. So they haven't learned how to change their behaviors. They need consequences, but they need to be formative consequences, consequences that teach. Now, yes, you may have some kids who are, you know, psychotic and have, are, you know, are, have huge issues that are far beyond the realm of most educators and schools to deal with, and there may be even criminal activity, and that may be best dealt with for older, you know, maybe young adults that best dealt with in a more serious way. But for the vast majority of situations, it can be dealt with by offering positive consequences. And the other part of this that's often forgotten is that over 85% of the time, bullying happens in the context of a peer group. So Mm. that means that bullying happens when kids are around, and guess what? Adults are not. Teachers aren't. Uh, Coaches, parents, 
uh, you know, parent volunteers, uh, school bus drivers, whatever, uh, and that may be in person or it may be online. So kids are generally part of the milieu. They're, they're part of the peer group. And when the bullying is happening, they know it's happening, and adults are not around. It doesn't mean that adults are abdicating their responsibilities, but let's face it, kids are often, you know, not always with parents or adults. Or, uh, and the thing is, here's the great news. The research of Pepler and Craig has shown us, which is huge research that which went as far as being on the Oprah show, for, for goodness sakes, wow. in their incredible research, their world-class research, they found that most bullying will stop in less than 10 seconds when peers intervene, not to fight the aggressor, mm-hmm. but to befriend those who are being victimized and walk yeah, away uh, with them and supporting them. That yeah. shows that our children, if we, if we can help them, understand this and, and provide support for them, they have the power to address bullying situations. Now, it doesn't mean we as, a, as adults can abdicate our responsibilities because we, the research also shows us that bullying can be significantly lessened when there's strong leadership in a school or within a family. But we need to tell our kids that most bullying happens when they're together with their peers and adults are not around, and they have the power to make the situation better most of the time without putting themselves in danger, and that yeah. is a really powerful piece of information yeah. that and our Bill, kids Bill, can, yeah. can learn, and, and we can help yeah. them with that. Bill, I'm glad you brought that up because there are commercials that have begun running. I don't know if they run in Canada, but they are running in the United States, and it actually shows uh, real insta- instances of bullying. Uh, one, for example, is on a school bus, and the whole point of that commercial was to uh, drive people to a website, I believe it's bullying.gov, and it actually is a site where adults can go and, and children can go to become empowered so that they can do something. You know, it's, it's what can you do instead of sitting there quietly and, and watching it happen or allowing it happen. It's, it's more uh, geared towards helping uh, people be proactive and stopping it so that we can get to that 10 seconds that you mentioned and putting an end to it. And I also want to actually, after we come back from a break, I want to uh, discuss with you uh, the Dignity, Dignity for All Students Act or the DASA Act that was passed, uh, went into effect two years ago here in New York. Uh, but at this time, we need to take another short break. We'll be back with more right after this. And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion on the important topic of bullying with my guest, Bill Belsey. Uh, Bill, just before the break, I mentioned New York's Dignity for All Students Act, which went into effect um, on July 1st. Uh, 2013, actually some amendments went into effect on 2013. The act actually went into effect on in 2012. And I know at this time there's extensive uh, statewide training of facilitators who will then turnkey the training uh, in school districts. And it's also a requirement, uh, not for those of us who are already in the profession, but any teacher coming into the profession or anyone coming into work in schools at all has to go through the DASA training. And I, I believe it's two days, six hours worth of training. But let me just read one paragraph to you um, on one of their brochures. New York State's Dignity for All Students Act, the Dignity Act, seeks to provide the state students with a safe and supportive environment free from discrimination, intimidation, taunting, harassment, and bullying on school property, a school bus, and or at a school function. Uh, First, Bill, are you familiar with the the DASA Act in New York? I'm not familiar with it in detail. I'm aware of it, but I'm sorry to say I don't know it in detail. Okay. Um, I, I personally believe it's a step in the right direction. It doesn't, I believe it actually doesn't even go far enough. I, I believe, uh, a mention of certain, some of these elements. Of course, we have laws against uh, discrimination and harassment, but, um, I think including employees, uh, in these protections with regards to taunting and bullying, uh, and intimidation would have been helpful. And I also believe they completely missed the boat on not mentioning cyberbullying at all. But all in all, I think it's a huge first step. Um, for a state the size of New York, and I'm hoping that it would have a, a, a beneficial spreading, you know, effect. Um, but I just wanted to mention that because it's um, something you certainly you can pull it up on New York State um, Education Department's website. You can pull up the details about Dignity for All Students Act because it may be something to to share or, we, or weave into many of the good things you're already doing. 
so I want to go back to uh, some of the things I found on your site because I'm I'm impressed with how uh, you have programs that actually begin with the very young. So tell us a little bit about It's Cool to Care. Well, that, that, these are a series of presentations that we do, and, and I, I will say right up front, even though I've had the honor to actually present in New York a number of times, and I would very gladly go back again, I uh, had uh, wonderful experiences there with the children and the teachers and the schools that I was with in New York. But I will say straight up that despite our presentations that we give, such as It's Cool to Care uh, and others, we have one for older kids um, called Virtual Worlds, Real Consequences, um, and, and others, that presentations of themselves won't, change, won't stop bullying. Um, they often reinforce good things that schools are doing, and many schools are doing good things. Um, but that in and of itself, a presentation, as proud as we are of the presentations we give, and we're happy to do them, but a presentation in and of itself won't stop bullying. It has a fairly modest impact. But if you have parents who are properly trained and educated and supported, and you have school staff who's properly trained and educated, who can then in turn support kids better and support adults, uh, the parents as well, then you've got something really special going on. Because when people, not just myself, but when others go and visit schools, again, we will say, you know, kids, please tell somebody about this. And we often talk to kids about the difference between tattling and telling. So if you're tattling on someone, you know, just simply to get the other person in trouble, obviously that's not appropriate. But if you're telling or you're reporting about a situation where you feel scared or there's something hurtful going on, um, then that's an important thing for kids to do. But if we say that to kids, typically what I warn principals when they invite me to, to come is that, you know, if I come, chances are in the days after my visit, it, uh, there will be uh, what appears to be an increase in bullying, but it's not. What you're doing is giving kids the permission, the license, if you will, um, to actually talk about it with someone. But this is where it all falls down. Because if the kids do get up the courage and try and approach a counselor or, or uh, you know, a vice principal or their homeroom teacher or whomever it is, uh, somebody, their coach, if they do approach them and the adult doesn't know what to do, then you've gotten, you know, taken two steps forward, but maybe three or four backwards. And mm. so the kids learn, as I was saying earlier, <clears throat> about how the kids kind of learn to shut up. <laughs> so <clears throat> the presentations are fine, but by in and of themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, um, having what's called you know, sort of edutainment, um, where there's just simply a, a one-off presentation, <coughs> excuse me, that changes little. But okay. presentations and work on it, it's the day-to-day things that really make the difference. Um, I'll, I'll give you some examples. Uh, you know, in addition, to, like the presentations are fine, but uh, what I try and do, and I'm not a perfect teacher by any means, but I try really hard every time there's a change of classes, my kids are coming into my class, I try to make the effort as best I can to greet my kids as they come in my class. A high five, a smile, a wink, uh, just making eye contact, uh, maybe a little touch on the shoulder saying, hey, you know, how was your game last night? Or just that little, you know, interaction to let the kids know I care. And I try and do that at the beginning, certainly of every school day, and certainly at the beginning of as many classes as I possibly can. Um, you know, we live in a day, uh, an, uh, an age in a day when uh, people are more engaged in screens than they are looking at each other in the eyes face-to-face. So I try and, you know, have the kids understand about being present. And I try really hard, you know, to understand that have kids, you know, when you're talking about bullying, what we need to understand is that there are no quick fixes. You know, everybody wants to pass a law or have an app on their computer that stops cyberbullying or these sorts of things. Well, you know, or, or, you know, have zero tolerance policies. But the problem with those sort of approaches is that those are reactive and punitive. It's after the fact. And, you know, zero tolerance doesn't, it sounds good politically, but, you know, you kick somebody out of the school for bullying. Well, nothing changes. Um, you know, they're just simply bullying somewhere else. And I think mm-hmm. what we need to do is understand that bullying is at its core actually about power and control. It's about relationships. And, you know, when it comes to things like zero tolerance, that, that term, by the way, actually came from, it originated uh, in the U.S. with what people used to call, quote-unquote, you know, the anti-drug the wars, anti-drug wars. That's where yes. the term zero tolerance came from. And it really is proven to be ineffective. 
What we need to understand is that bullying is a relationship issue. It's about power and control. And let's face it, the best relationships we have in our lives, whether it's with our spouse or our children or our family or friends, it's based upon trust. And that takes time. It takes time to nurture, to develop, to cultivate. And when there's some bumps along the road, they take time to repair as well. So these sort of quick fixes don't work. You know, relationships take a long time to put in place and and, 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 and work on. And they're not, you know, dealt with in a, in a quick or superficial manner. Uh, you know, relationships are sophisticated things. We human beings are pretty sophisticated. And we, we need equally thoughtful and sophisticated ways to deal with it. Um, and I think, you know, if you want, I can get into later about, you know, some of the actual specifics about some of the strategies that I think are some of the things we should know about bullying that maybe we don't and maybe some of the strategies if you'd like at some point. Well, I, well, definitely. In fact, uh, if, if, if it's okay, let me use myself as a, as a case study. Um, my first year in third grade, I was bullied mercilessly because I was one of those late in the year. Well, two reasons. Number one, I was, I was transferred to a school 10 miles away from my neighborhood school. So I was the new kid. And number two, I was physically smaller than the other kids because I was a, as they say, a late in the year baby. I was born in, in November. I was, so I went to kindergarten at four years old. So the other kids were just physically bigger than I was. And now I was transferred to a higher performing school. So they were ahead of me academically and physically. So a couple of the kids, and these are kids who were very smart. They did very well in school. It's the two boys in particular I'm thinking of. They come from solid families and yet they just, they made it their mission to make my, the newcomer miserable for an entire year and anyone they can get to join in, they did. So in looking back at it and, and having done my own research, um, it, it flies in the face of some of the myths and, and I'll let you, you know, get into some, some more of the myths, but it's always an assumption that these kids have low, the bully has low self-esteem or the bully has, uh, you know, some deficits. These were well-adjusted, intelligent kids from solid backgrounds who were simply, you know, in my opinion, maintaining their alpha male status when a new kid came along. Um, that scenario, my, my bullying experience, that's, that's part one. How would you respond to that or what do you see or what can you uh, add to that to, to enrich our, our knowledge? Well, I think your comment, uh, first of all, your illustration is a good one, uh, and I think in your own personal context, but then also the comment that you made um, towards the end of your statement about your, uh, the end of your story about how uh, it, it is a lot of sort of that alpha kind of uh, social status climbing. And there's, that's, this is a big part of it. Um, one of the things we know is sometimes we assume that, you know, the kid who's the quote, you know, the what's seen is seen as so, the, the socially untouchable or so the, the socially, um, uh, the ones at the high, sort of high, uh, at the top of the food chain, you know, the quarterback, uh, the football team or the basketball team or, you know, the captain of the football team or the basketball team or the, uh, you know, the cheerleader or something like that, you know, in sort of traditional terms that those people were seen as the, the ones on top of the pecking order. But that's actually what happens is the people are trying to uh, make their way up that uh, social ladder and the, they sometimes will do whatever it takes to climb that ladder, and it, it is at the expense of other people. Um, the, the thing about this, too, is that we need to understand that bullying is a fluid thing. It's behavior, right? So if we were to take, uh, go to a school in New York City and you know, have a video camera and just watch the kids interact at recess, um, we would see, if we just followed any random child, there's a fairly good chance if we watched long enough, what we would see is that one child may go from being victimized to being an aggressor, mm. being a bystander, that same one child, all within a short time. So it's a very fluid kind of thing. And I think one of the mistakes that we make when we talk about bullying is we, I, we label kids as bullies. Well, if you label children as bullies, it's, it, it's kind of a, a red herring in a way. What we really want to change and work on is the behavior. But if we label kids as bullies, from a young age, and it continues through their schooling, through their career, their academic career. Well, if all they ever know or you know have other people think about them is that they're the school bully, well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, because then they think, well, okay, that's what people think about me. That's how I get my power and control. And so they, if they think that's the least people think of them as, as the school bully, then you're going to get the behavior that you look for. 
So I think we need to understand that bullying can be a very fluid kind of thing. Our own children, as much as we love them, they can be quite aggressive towards other people, and um, they can themselves go from being victimized to being bystanders to being the aggressors themselves all within a short span of time. So we need to understand it in, those, in that context. We as adults, and, and the other thing we need to do as adults too is, is understand that you, you can't bully a bully into not being a bully, and yet that's what people, adults often try and do. Yeah, so and, just hit him back. That'll solve it. Back exactly. In my day, and I, yeah, back I'm glad. In my day, we just did that. Exactly. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned there that. There are also. times when you have to defend yourself physically. There may be those mm-hmm. situations, but we also know that defending yourself physically, when you have to, may have to be done. But in the vast majority of situations, to try and sort of, you know, punch out the bully that oh that'll solve them. Well, yes and no, <laughs> because <laughs> what you're doing is you're just using aggression to fight aggression and. And really, all you're doing is modeling the very behavior that we don't want our kids to be engaged in. Again, I'm not saying there aren't times when you have to defend yourself. There may be, and there will be, perhaps. But for the most mm-hmm. part, it's not, it, it's not necessary. Um, I think we, we also, as adults, there's a bunch of misunderstandings that we have about bullying. One is that, you know, quote-unquote, you know, we see bullies as the source of the problem, but actually they're the symptom of the problem. People who bully, it, remember, it's a behavior, and behaviors are learned. Right? Uh, there's no mm-hmm. B chromosome. Children aren't born bullies. Many bullies have difficulties at home or in school, and they need help just as much as those who are being victimized. Because okay. the thing is, um, they're having trouble in their lives, and they're usually lashing out at others. In many All right, Bill, can you hold, hold that thought? Because I know you have a, a, um, you know, so, some more that you want to share. But we have to take one last break. Uh, we'll be back soon right after this. listening to educate on talkzone.com back to jonathan jefferson welcome back welcome back welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest bill belzy president of bullying.org in the next 10 minutes this is your last chance to call and if you want to join our conversation the phone lines are open 888-463-6748 that's 888-463-6748 we're taking your calls on talk zone uh bill before i hand this back to you i just wanted to mention that you actually uh answered uh the second half of my story and that and what i was going to mention is the fact that when i repeated third grade in order to catch up academically I became the bully. Now I was, was with kids more my age, more my size, and I, I became the bully so that I wouldn't be victimized. And I I have heard often, and probably even recently, I may have even said it myself that you know if a bully, if, if you're confronted with a bully, just don't back down and you know you know punch him right in the nose type of thing. I've 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 even maintained that mentality on occasion, and you've addressed that as well. But um, I like you to you know. Uh, Take over from here and, and guide the conversation in the, in the next 10 minutes. Um, share what it is you think is important for us to, to know and understand. Okay. I think what I'm going to do, if I can, uh, Jonathan, is I'm going to talk about some really specific strategies, okay? So, you know, people talk about bullying endlessly, and then parents and teachers are saying, okay, yeah, but what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> so uh, there, to, try, to try to do it all 10 minutes, I'm not sure if I can do but I'll, I'll, I'll hit on some highlights. Okay. So first of all, what we need to understand is that bullying is a behavior, and behaviors are learned. And they're learned by kids, by kids observing adult behavior. So kids, re- you know, they remember a little bit of what we tell them, but lecturing them about bullying, and then going ahead as adults and getting mad at our spouse, or, you know, berating some poor young clerk at the local store because they made a mistake in our bill and we you know, get in their face about it, or, you know, having an argument with our family member uh, on the phone or whatever it might be, kids will internalize and they will much more, they will much more likely internalize and model behaviors that they see adults modeling in front of them. So kids remember some of what we tell them, but they are much more likely to emulate behaviors that we model. So we adults, and I say myself, I'll put myself right at the front of the guilty line as a dad and as a teacher, you know, if there's mistakes to be made around bullying over the years, I've made them all. But we need to walk the walk as adults of the positive behaviors. We need to emulate the positive, healthy relationships that we want our kids to be engaged in. 
A few other things we should do is to understand that, you know, if we want to talk to our kids and they do come forward and talk to us about bullying, they are full of anxiety. They are so nervous. They're so upset. They can't sleep. If they're little, maybe they're peeing the bed. Maybe they're not eating. They don't want to get on the school bus. Their, their stomach is in knots. They may have physical scars. They may have anxiety about whatever they're experiencing. So the first thing we need to do as adults who care about kids is we need ourselves as adults to calm ourselves because we know from brain research what happens is our brain starts freaking out. There are biochemical changes that happen in our brain, and we've actually, we actually have pictures of the brain when we're being bullied or we're, being really, we're really upset. The pictures of our brain, the brain scans that we have, show that the feelings that we have ignite chemical, biochemical changes in our brain that, that are the same as if we were hurt really badly physically. And we actually know that brain cells are damaged when we experience bullying. We actually know this now, and we've only learned this in recent years. So wow. if we as adults who care about kids are full of, uh, you know, we're upset because we, you know, we, as adults, we want kids to fit in. We want them to be happy. Um, we want them to get along. And, yes, if they're actually doing some of the things, maybe, just maybe they're going to learn some things at school. So what we need to do as adults who want to help kids deal with bullying is we need to calm ourselves. Now, it's hard, right, because you're a parent, and you're really mm-hmm. upset. And you want your kid to be happy, but they're not, and they're scared. And so your papa bear, your mama bear kind of, uh, you know, um, your feelings and all your biochemical changes are happening in your brain. So in order to help kids calm their brains, we need to calm ourselves. And this is really hard. Bullying is a really, really emotional issue. But to help kids deal with this in in a way to let them know that this will pass eventually and that we're there for them to help and support them, we can't provide that if we ourselves as adults are totally upset and angry. So we ourselves need to calm ourselves first, okay? Then the other thing we can do that's really practical is that the research shows that if we can come up with kids, if we can help kids develop like little short sort of scripts, um, you don't have to write them out, but if there's rehearsed little things that you can say ahead of time. Because when people are being bullied, whether it's kids at school or adults who are being harassed by their boss in the workplace, because, of course, bullying is not just a school issue. When we, when we are in that situation, again, our brain is going crazy, and we get that, you know, that expression in English, that deer-in-the-headlights kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. We feel kind of immobilized. We feel kind of frozen. And even very, in, very intelligent, well-educated people, uh, mature adults, sometimes they have trouble addressing uh, a boss who may be bullying. And this is a very, uh, very scary experience, and it really freezes you. So... For kids, though, what we can do to help them is we can help them develop scripts and things that they can say ahead of time. Some kids are adept at using humor to diffuse the situation, but for a lot of kids, and I'll give you one example from my own family. My son, who's a big guy, he's six foot two, over 200 pounds, played on this football team, and he once told me not long ago that the worst bully he ever had was a girl who was shorter than him and in a younger grade than him in high school. And I said, Alex, how is this possible? And he went on to describe, he said, you know, Dad, every day when I would go to the school bus stop to go to high school, she would see me coming and she would let in on me. And she said, Dad, you know what? In high school, I had bumps and bruises and things from football practice, and those eventually healed. But you know what, Dad? The words that that girl said to me, she called me fat and stupid and ugly and all these things. The words that that girl spewed out every day when I went to the bus stop when you and Mom weren't around I'll bear those scars probably for the rest of my life. But he said, Dad, you know, I got her to stop. And I said, Alex, what did you do? You didn't hit her, did you? (laughs) Oh, no, no, Dad. You told me you never hit a girl. And I said, okay, so what? And he said, well, you know, Dad, one day you were downstairs in the basement. You were playing your guitar, and you were, well, you were singing a song. And I said, what? He said, yeah, you were singing a song, and I didn't want to embarrass you, so I just sat in the steps, and, and I didn't go down, but I heard you playing the song and singing it. And he said, I listened to the lyrics. And this is from a song that Peter Yarrow sings to Peter, Paul, and Mary, a song called Don't Laugh at Me. And I was playing it, and Alex got up the next day, and he started down the street, and he was going to the school bus, and this girl started in on him again. And Alex said, you know what I did, Dad? I walked up to her, and I looked down at her, and I just she started to go at me verbally, and I just said to her, why do you get your pleasure from my pain? I said, Alex, what happened? He said, Dad, you know, it was amazing. 
He said her mouth kind of fell open, and really, she really didn't bug me anymore after that. Wow. What Alex had figured out on his own, and I was too stupid as his, da- as his, as his dad, <laughs> I should have known better at the time, but I didn't know. I know now. But what Alex figured out was he used the, the line, the lyrics of that song, as a script, and he rehearsed it. I didn't tell him to. He rehearsed it over and over again in his mind, and the next day, he used that line. And we can teach our kids, not necessarily lines from songs, but we can use, we can rehearse with our kids things that they can say ahead of time so that when they find themselves in those situations and they feel that deer in the headlights feeling and they're feeling quite frozen and their brain is, you know, going through all those biochemical changes and they're just kind of panicked and they don't really quite know what to say or do, they can go to those scripts and research shows that they really help a lot. Now, do they help all the time? No, but they do help quite a lot. And that is something that we can help our kids with. Um, and I think even just things like having at least one other person to walk with um, when it comes to schools, making sure that all the teachers or any of the parent volunteers all have bright vests so that when they're outside, they're very visible and that the teachers and the parent volunteers have a way to communicate with each other, either through cell phones or walkie-talkies or whatever, so that they can be communicating and actively looking for those kids who are often alone at recess because the kids who want to hurt other kids, they'll look for them. And they'll go after them. So being communicating, being highly visible, um, other little things that we can look for. Um, if we're parents and we notice that our kids are being really hurtful towards our family pet, that is a huge red flag that our kids are acting out their violence and their aggression on the family pet. And, you know, SPCAs and humane societies, they will tell you this, that kids who act out in this way towards pets, it's a big red flag that very likely even though we love our kids and think that they're wonderful, the thing is they may very well be also acting out in, in aggressive and hurtful ways towards their peers and even sometimes, you know, family members as well. So, wow. you know, th- those are, I could go on and tell you a lot more. Yeah, we've run those out of time, Bill, but this is... practical things that yeah. people can, you know, can think about doing to support kids. And also, for those members of the audience who might be listening and they're saying, well, that's great, Bill, you know, my kid thankfully hasn't been bullied and I hope... They're not a bully. They're not being you know, aggressive and hurting others. My kid's been doing okay, but guess what? We know that 15% are directly involved as the bullies or victims, right? 15%. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That leaves the 85%. That's the silent majority. Yeah. And it's the silence of the majority that gives bullies their power. Yeah, Bill, Bill unfortunately, I'm going to have to stop you here, Bill, because we, we've run out of time. Uh, we've been speaking with Bill Belzey founder and president of bullying.org. To learn more about Mr. Belzey and bullying.org, visit his website at www.bullying.org. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Jonathan. If people want to follow us on Twitter, we're at bullying underscore org. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. Tune in next week as we continue to tackle the truth behind schoolhouse doors.